bingo bingo hey so my thought for this one is i will i will keep it clean and uh we will i want to give uh carry attempts the impossible ladies and gentlemen (laughs) i want to give you the least amount of editing possible i think we can do it 114 episodes 113 or 100 or 118 if you count all the all the missing ones and i do Remember when you had classical music as the intro? It was just for the first one, <laughs> and I—it was a terrible failure. You're right. You were right to make fun of me with John. I when you did that, I was like, "What the hell is this?" It was me. It was me stealing from other podcasts that I liked, and realizing immediately after that that was the dumbest thing in the world. What are you talking about? Hey, to all of our podcast listeners out there, I want you to find someone who, who stares at you the way that my dog stares at my wife. <laughs> Complete, utter longing. So, Luke, I want to just start off by saying um, you, because we didn't record yesterday, you, because you saw Thor, prevented me from seeing Thor tonight. And now I have to wait till Monday like an animal. <laughs> oh, bitch, bitch, bitch. Thought you said you're going to keep it clean, Luke. Thought you said you're going to keep it one minute and fifty two seconds in. He already violated. It really did. I was. Just, I had such good intentions. I really did. <laughs> uh, so, Luke, how are things? Busy, 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 busy. Yeah, how busy? Busy. I'm a busy bee. Uh, not, not, not overwhelmed. Feeling very. Not in control, but, you know, as good as I could be. Mind like water, if you're a David Allen fan. Mind, mind like water mind going like on water. here. Mind, mind like, like water. water. Love you, baby. Good night. Good night. Aaron says a good night. Yep, she sure did. I don't know. Tell her I said good night, too. <laughs> he just did. She asked if you said good night to her, to her, and I said he just did. Okay, good. Thank you for the play-by-play. Speaking of play-by-play, Astros take the World Series. Banana bump bump banana bump bump bump. Much to the chagrin of our poor poor friend Sergio. Well, I do want to say this: since California is our largest listener base, yeah, outnumbering the state of Texas, which is our second largest listening base by like a factor of ten. Uh, California, we're sorry that we beat you, but at the Listen, same time, Houston needed this. <laughs> I kind of agree. Like you guys did. And now it's been long in the works. Like it's been what there's a Sports Illustrated thing from 2014 where they basically said this team will, will, will win the World Series in 2017. Yeah, that was and awesome. That was awesome. Thanks to Kate Upton's boyfriend. <laughs> Probably thanks to Kate Upton. I mean, come on. Let's be very honest here. Did you see John Hamm on uh, Halloween night at the Dodger Stadium? I did not. John Hamm is a notorious Cardinals fan. And uh, he was in the stadium in box seats. He was wearing a Cardinals hat, but a Dodgers jersey. And so people are like, oh, look at that. He's sporting his new home team. That's cool. And then he said uh, uh, on Instagram or something like that, he's like, I dressed up as a Dodgers fan for Halloween. That's all that was. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I love John Hamm. He's so cool and handsome. uh... He's an older father, Mike Schmitz. I know that uh, he's a he's I guess he's an alcoholic like, like after he was done playing Don Draper he went straight to AA did he really yeah that tells you anything oh the things people sacrifice for art quote unquote. Oh, thank god uh, <laughs> no he, he actually said like playing uh, playing Donnie D really did screw with his head a bit to have to get in the space to be him oh man I was like, oh, artist, you're so sensitive. Good for you. I'd be the same way if I was an actor. <laughs> you're the same you way s- now. <laughs> Can't you see I'm a torture genius? <laughs> genius, 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 genius. Someone paid Luke the same amount of money that John Ann makes. <laughs> Seriously. Her episode. Give me your millions, everyone. I'll take them. And I'll be, Roger, I'll be Roger Sterling. <laughs> he's, he's got the best one-liners. He does. He does. If I were a character on Mad Men, Mad, Mad Men who would I be? Oh, uh, me and my wife have actually done this with all of our friends. Oh, shoot, <laughs> uh, okay, who would you be if you're so I'm a I'm for the most part I'm sorry, sorry, this is not what you asked, but to put me in this is like a warm up. This is not the song. question I asked, but it's the I question know. I do deserve. <laughs> I'm gonna get I'm gonna get to you. If I was a madman character, I'd be uh Ken with a little bit of Harry and a little bit of Peter. <laughs> little Peter. Go on. <laughs> you you're Sal. Which one's Sal? Oh, oh, no. Is go. he the guy? <laughs> is he the alcoholic? Uh, no. Is, is he well, the, they all are. Uh, yeah, sure. But is he the guy that, like, peed himself? Salvador? 
Mm-mm. Oh no, I'm the gay uh, art guy mm-hmm. who disappeared from Forgot. the show after he called his wife from a payphone saying he's going to be home late, and then he ran away crying. Mm-hmm. Poor guy. Oh god. Did they ever old. resolve that no. in the last season? No, 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 no. It was just that was it. That was all. They, they uh... I think they said something about that was all. It's like they really that they all they could do with his character. So, and I think it's it's I think it's I mean I was bummed when he was gone, but I, I get it. Yeah, it was good. It was yeah. fun. you know, it was. I was just thinking about Sal the other day. Why am I Sal? I know I have no idea. I just wanted to. It's still be funny to say you were Sal. Um, <laughs> gosh, what does Aaron think I am? Who does Aaron think I am? Oh, gosh, Aaron. <laughs> Go which, into what Madman character he is. Aaron, this is important. Wake up. <laughs> which which Madman character would Gomer be? I already told him about how I'm Ken. A little bit of uh, Harry, a little bit of Peter. <laughs> Harry Peter. <laughs> Aaron's trying to think really quick. Oh, the, good luck, Aaron. <laughs> with your one, with your one fifty IQ and your economics degree. Oh, <laughs> it should have been a nun with a degree like that. Damn it! Does Aaron ever listen? <laughs> uh, um, sometimes, mm. not mm. always. Mm. Okay. Clock is ticking, Aaron. Time's a factor, Lois. Okay, so here you go. Here's, here's who you are. You're an early, you're a season one Harry before the cheating. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. He'll take it. Because, yeah, you're not creepy Harry. I'm not having sex with a hippie woman in my office? No, you're not having sex with not a yet. In my office. Okay, good, good. <laughs> yeah. Who, who who would you say that you are? Mm, the prophet Elijah. You set me up for that. I took you gave me faith, or you gave me culture, and I, I collided it with faith. Hey, <laughs> these are the days of Elijah. We're gonna start all the way over again. I'm kidding. Things are good, buddy. I just got out of seeing Thor Thor Ragnarok. Ah, uh, okay. Now you can't we'll spoil you can't spoil anything for me, but. No. I have to ask. I have to ask. It got a mm-hmm. like a ninety four percent on mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes. Is that a worthy mm-hmm. score? I'm telling you, uh, this is superhero fatigue. This is superhero fatigue. No, it's it's um, okay. This, this is all I'm gonna say. This film does not fall into the the superhero fatigue. I have a whole other thought on that, but I think we should do that for I, what I what I would like to do is after you see it on Monday, talk to you about it. Or put it up on Patreon. For our ten dollar or more donors, I think that's a great idea. Patreon.com slash CF. Waiting for your donation, Gina Derso. Hey, uh, can I tell you what's really funny? Someone mm-hmm. donated ten dollars, and I'm pretty sure they just listened to all four of our bonus episodes and then <laughs> undonated <laughs> before like literally in twenty four hours. So I think in my suspicion, so that it wouldn't hit their bill and mm-hmm. uh, because it doesn't hit until the first. So, ladies and gentlemen, you can donate today. And not have until, you know, you got like 29 days until it'll actually hit your credit card or whatever. So donate now. Get sloppy drunk on the 30th and forget to withdraw <laughs> so we can debit your credit card on the 1st. Thank you to everyone. Listen, do it for Gomer's kids. It's before Christmas. Yeah, how dare you? Hey, help Gomer's kids get a good Christmas. Yes, sir. Help, help Gomer's kids get an iPad because his baby <laughs> destroyed the iPad. Oh, no. Right on the concrete, my oh, friend. Thomas right just... He dropped on the concrete? Yeah. In a gym. Gymnastics. During gymnastics. Oh, what did you do? Uh, well, you mean after that part of my heart recovered? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, actually, I wasn't there. I was, uh, uh, I was at work. At work. That thing I do seven days a week, Luke. I was at work. Yeah. Um, so Steve of the Missionary brought this up. I forget what his Twitter handle is, but I think it's like at Steve, at Steve the Missionary. Had a really good point where he's like, I just want two days off in a row. Is that so much to ask? Yep. And I was like, hmm, that kind of is a problem. Like, I'm not going to have two days off this week. There will not be two days in a row where I do not do anything for work. I am so blessed that we did not have work on All Saints Day. Holy Day of Obligation, pair staff has off. So this Wednesday was literally the first day in a month that I've had off and will be the first and will be the last day in a month that I will have off. Mm. So I have, an, I have until Thanksgiving until I have off. 
Now, how much of that is now? Okay, here's the thing. You know, there's a there's a whole bunch of people who don't who work just as hard. We're not trying to say this is wrong or anything. So, there are uh, people who are migrant farmers who are literally yeah. <laughs> essentially in the position of tying their shoelaces for eight hours a day. I get it. Much harder than what I'm doing. I get to mm-hmm. sit in an air conditioned environment, have witty conversations with adults, and uh, get fussy over what font I choose for, you know, this or that document that I'm making. But at the same time. I do five days a week at my churchy church job, and then I do every weekend for the last, you know, two, three months, uh, or two months, um, every weekend I'm on the road. So last week I was in Richmond, Virginia, doing a middle school youth conference, Luke. How was that? Ugly? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I realized I talk to the middle schoolers the same way I talk to high schoolers, which is the same way I talk to adults. (laughs) For 45 minutes with lots of jokes, self-deprecating humor, and a whole lot of sweating. (laughs) <laughs> and the kids were like, I get that. And you're like, darn straight. Now let's talk about Infinity Wars. <laughs> Enough about this. Who's excited about Thor Ragnarok? Am I right? <laughs> it, this, this kid is it's just some kid in the back who's fat eating a Twix bar. And he's like, oh, yeah. I'm, and they're like, is your name Luke Carey? And is he your 1996? It is. Oh, you poor kid. <laughs> oh, you um, poor kid. Why do you have a perm? <laughs> I did. I had weird hair. Mom, why did you make me do that? Uh, <laughs> hey. I have a... Luke Carey has a perm. I ain't editing that out. Luke Carey has a perm. <laughs> it wasn't a perm. It was just thick, and it would curl. All... It wouldn't curl like a perm, but it would get curly in, in the humid weather. <laughs> so they were the long and curlies. I get you. Go on. Long and curly. Straighten them out. Um, I've got a. I've got a topic for today, man. An what? unprepared topic, but I think. I think. I think it's time. I, th- I think it's time for us to to discuss a big thing without any preparation at all. Oh, we never do that. Never. We always are very well. We are on top of things. We, are, we have we have show notes and quotes <laughs> from St. Thomas Aquinas at the ready. We have outlines and <laughs> things that we're following. We're prepared to say things Mind while maps. also being free to expand and you know go down certain roads, but always bring it back to the main thing at hand. Yeah, we never deviate on tangents. <laughs> you guys are getting your free thing for way more than it's worth. Um, <laughs> I think... We've got to talk about what's a Catholic to make out of Pope Francis. It's it's time. We need to do it. What what did you just say? What the Catholic to make? What a what a what, what, gosh? How did I put it? I don't know. I uh, it literally sound like you said what the Catholic to make of Pope what Francis. a Catholic should make about oh. Pope Francis. I don't know. I was going for something funny and it probably I got ahead of myself there. I think okay. we, I think we got we got to talk about the Pope, man. It's time. All right, man. Let's do it. So. I if think he's he... the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> well, solves that. Da, 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 da. No. Okay, so this Infinity is... Infinity Wars. Yeah, yeah. Back to the thing that we care about. You know, uh, I received a phone call from someone who we've mentioned uh, maybe once on the show, uh, so I'm not going to say their name. But this person said, and I quote, all these nice things affirming Catching Foxes and then ended it with, I just, I just hate Pope Francis. <laughs> I was like... Wait, what? <laughs> and, uh, you know, today, um, this, is, this is the deal. And I have to tread lightly here because my cardinal is in charge of the USCCB. And I, L-O-L-O-L-O-V-E, love my cardinal. But this is what I've discovered uh, being a Catholic. I am a, I love Pope Francis. I love Pope Francis. But, I, and I agree with um, guests of the show, Dave Van Bickle, who said Pope Francis is wonderful for evangelization and initial proclamation, and he's kind of a train wreck for catechesis. So those who are adults and a little bit more mature in their faith, it seems like Pope Francis is very, very difficult to accept with the things that he says. And I've always told people, when you, think, when you hear Pope Francis, realize he's not talking to Catholics most, for the most part. He's talking to the world, and he's trying to adjust the way the world views the Catholic Church. So he'll say things like Catholics aren't called to multiply like rabbits. People like my best friend took deep offense to that. People like, um, you know, my uh, a buddy of mine who's an atheist was like, I literally thought you were required to multiply. Like, like literally multiply like rabbits. And so um, when Pope Francis said that, he just shattered like a million misconceptions but at the same time, Catholics felt like he was throwing them under the bus, especially devout Catholics whose quiver is full of children. And uh, it, it's led to a little bit of confusion, Luke, a little bit of confusion. What, how much of this is an issue because we ex- we're trying to paint the papacy 
into something that we think it should be? Well, this is what I'm, this is my, and I, I want to make it clear, I have not been, I, I do reading, I don't, I have not extensively searched this topic, but the, the two things that I've noticed is when Pope John Paul and Pope Benedict were Pope, conservatives bent over backwards to shove into liberals' faces or leftists' faces the fact that when this Pope speaks, you ought to at least honor his comments, even though it's not spoken infallibly now it seemed like the tide has completely turned and it's it's so funny because it's liberals or left catholics who are using that statement against the right wing shoving it in their faces about climate change and uh you know being more quote unquote pastoral to uh people with divorce and remarriage or, or other interesting marriage situations and so as one who loves the church and loves pope francis I will say, I will officially come out and say, Pope Francis is confusing the shit out of me. I love him, but I think his profound amount, uh, like he said in the very beginning, I want to be a prophet, but prophets do make a mess. I want him to be a prophet, and I don't care about the mess, but it's the ambiguity. I don't think anyone knew, anyone had a question where Isaiah stood or Jeremiah stood. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there is there is it, it almost feels like there's direct ambiguity on the part of Pope Francis now, because literally his whole like the whole thing. OK, what do you think of that? Let me just stop talking. What do you think of that? No, I, I think I'm with you uh, that the I don't know about the ambiguity like right now. I don't I have no thoughts on that at all. I'm, I'm actually curious to hear more, but I'm definitely with you on the I like him. I really do. I just think he's so. Um, it's just, I, I love, I, I won't ever forget when he was, um, or, or not ordained Pope. Is it ordained or coordinated? What? The Pope? Yeah. Well, you're consecrated a bishop. So he's okay. the Bishop of Rome. You're elected Pope by the Cardinals. Okay. Right? So it's when he's Installed. elected Pope. In, yeah, yeah. Yeah. One time I actually said coordinated Pope in front of our Archbishop thing. And I was like, <laughs> but he laughed. Uh, he likes me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Coronation is for Kings. Yeah, I know. I was like, this Although is he is the word. king of Vatican City State. Go on. <laughs> Loyal subjects. Um, I, I, I am getting a little bit confused because what like where I have the most um, hesitation is the wrong word, but confusion and I don't get this is in his encyclical Amores, whatever. Yeah. Um, no, I ha- again, I've skimmed through it. So this is just like this is we probably shouldn't even be speaking, but we are because we have the microphone. Um <laughs> Is that uh, when he's saying things that feel like they kind of violate other moral law, and we should always, and especially within the papacy, striving for the highest good. So it it makes me a little bit. I'm just like, okay, I don't like, I don't get. I appreciate what he's trying. I I appreciate what he's going for. These are real issues that people are really dealing with, and what do we do? And I think sometimes we want these really clean-cut answers. We want to jump to heroic virtue. Like, we want to go from, like, hey, I'm really having a hard time to that that heroic virtue without going anywhere in between. So, for example, when Benedict talks about how that, you know, if you have a person who's a prostitute and they use a condom for the first time because they want to be responsible for their behavior. Yeah, Pope that Benedict be a- Pope Benedict was saying that the manifestation of concern for others can be can happen like for instance, you know, it can happen even when like you have like a male prostitute who has AIDS and he's been prostituting himself for years but then he starts using a condom. And the whole point of it was like he's saying for his whole life up until that moment, I haven't cared about the health or well-being of other people. Now I'm going to now start. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's kind of like um, we wouldn't necessarily – I don't think we would say that as heroic uh, heroic, uh, heroic virtue in action. But I think it's, it's, it's like a step towards, towards that. And I feel like sometimes um, Catholics, especially here in America, want to jump from I, – I, I was – I was lost. Now I'm a saint. And I yeah. like that Pope Francis is trying to get to that, uh, get to that like middle ground. But I think you have to be clear as well about that. 
yeah. you know, and I, and I think he, he's being, and that, from what I understand, he's being intentionally vague. And that's kind of tough because these are real life issues where there is always a right and a wrong. Yeah. So it was, yeah, no, but, uh, and it's, um, I don't know. It's difficult because so keep keep uh, go back to what you're saying with him being unintentionally vague. Okay. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Him yeah. Being intentionally ambiguous. So. So. OK. So number one, um, when it comes to the whole divorce and remarriage thing, which is really the only real beef that I think I have with him. Um, okay. He puts the most, okay. Uh, in the part on the marital problems with divorce and remarriage in Amoris, he begins to talk about a- almost to the point where he excuses every, uh, problematic marital situation, right? So it's not their fault. It's ignorance or, or passion or confusion or this or that. And he tells us not to judge people, that we just need to make any and every effort to make them feel at home in the church, to love them right where they're at. And there are some people who are victims of divorce. You know, I think often we have this image of divorce as two people, they just can't see each other and they separate. Whereas more often than not, as we had in our episode, spoiler alert, we got divorced, the divorce was something that one party wanted and the other one was fighting to prevent. But there are plenty of cases where people just leave and they file for divorce after the fact. And so those are true victims of divorce, and they are treated unfairly. But um, one of the things that is difficult is in Amoris, uh, there is a footnote. And it's in the footnote that we get all of this confusion. And it's a 262-page document. But in the footnote, he mentions how there can be um, that we need to that we need to examine whether or not we can admit after due diligence and making sure that people are repentant, admit the divorced and remarried outside of the church into communion. It's in a footnote, and this is like what I mean by the vagueness. In an interview, someone brings up the quote unquote infamous footnote, and he says, "I don't know what footnote you're talking about." Like, almost like it's, like, what do you mean you don't know what footnote we're talking about? We literally, like, it's the footnote that everyone is going nuts over. And he's like, I'm not saying you're lying. What I'm just saying is I don't know what what specifically you're talking about. And I feel like statements like that drive people insane. And I feel like he does know what footnote we're talking about because it's the thing that people are yelling at him about. And I just, it's driving me, it's driving me crazy to try to deal with this because then he'll praise a, a group of uh, bishops from like Argentina or something like that. And they clearly um, are, are saying like horrific things. Like they're just admitting people back to communion and the German bishops are looking for a way around it. And it's, it just seems like totally like, it's just nuts. Like, no, they're divorced and in a non-sanctioned union. And it seems like, well, that doesn't really matter. You need to learn to have compassion. And I'm like, I now you're, I feel like you're telling me I don't have compassion. Come on. Like, I do. And so there is, I feel like this very heavy, um, there's this very, it's like he's stepping up to the problem and truly going to the problem. Footnote 351, that's what I was saying. Footnote 351, there really is a problem with his interpretation in Amoris. And he says, here's his quote. I'm going to give you the exact quote. On one of the last popes speaking at the council said there were two councils, Vatican II, which took place at St. Peter's Basilica and the Media Council. When I convoked the first synod, the synod I think on the family, um, the first great concern of the majority of the media was whether divorced or remarried Catholics would have access to communion. And since I'm not a saint, this bothered me and also made me rather sad because I thought, do you not realize that that is not the important problem? Don't you realize that instead the family throughout the world is in crisis? The family is the basis of society. Do you not realize that the young don't want to marry? Don't you realize that the falling birth rate in Europe is something to cry about? Don't you realize the lack of work or the little work available means that a mother has to get two jobs and her children grow grow up alone? Now, that statement is why I love Pope Francis. Mm -hmm. And then he says this. These are big problems. And then there's a direct quote. I don't remember the footnote. 
But for sure, if it's something in general in a footnote, it's because I spoke about it, I think, in Evangelii Gaudium. And you're like, wait, come on, this is the footnote. (laughs) Like, let's not do this. Let's not do (laughs) Like, let's really open this up. But it's like this, he's not going to come out and say, you need to admit people who are divorced and remarried to Holy Communion. He's not going to say that. He even tweeted, there is only marriage, but uh, there, is, uh, there is no divorce and remarriage granted for all Catholics in a sacramental marriage. He tweeted that. But then there's these statements where he's like praising these one group of bishops and who are, who are actively admitting or thinking about actively admitting. So I don't know. The footnote is, in certain cases, this can include the help of the sacraments. Hence, I want to remind priests of the confessional to be a torture chamber, blah, blah, blah. I'll also point out that the Eucharist is not a prize for the perfect, but a powerful medicine and nourishment for the weak. And it's talking about those who have um, marital marital difficulties. And I, oh gosh, there are so many thoughts, so many things that I want to say, but I want to just kind of really stay on, on track yeah. here. So I want to come back at some point in time to the idea of, the Eucharist being a thing for the perfect. Because yeah. I do think that that's a, a problem. There was a tweet I saw that really bothered me. The people were going like ape, sh- ape crap over. Yeah. And I really want to, but that's a whole other thing. Um, do you think he's telling people to pick your battles? That Because because the world is so broken, so post-Christian, so effed up right now, that to try to uphold of them. I'm not saying that I agree with this. I'm just trying to work this out. So please everyone don't freak out on me. Um, is he asking people to say, look, things are bad. Things are really bad. One step at a time. So if people are trying to come back, let's not go. Okay. So now that you're kind of in, here's all the things that you've, that you've got to do. Instead, it's just, just come back. And let's break. Let's do this one step at a time. Well, the okay, yes. Uh, so I am someone who works at a professional level with people in messed up marriages, broken marriages, mm-hmm. all, the whole range. I met with people cohabiting. I met with people who are common law. I meet with people all the time who are on their fourth or fifth marriage. All the time, all the time. And what I do is accompaniment. F yeah, accompaniment. And what that means is I view them as my brother and sister in Jesus Christ. And I am not going to stop loving them or being neighbor to them because their marriage situation isn't perfect. But what I'm also not going to do is I'm not going to pretend like an imperfect marriage situation is what's best for them. And so... I feel like the the Pope, by praising a group of bishops that are readmitting divorced, like the the weird thing is with the divorce and remarriage, a lot of Catholics don't understand this, the divorce and remarriage thing. Go listen to our J.D. Flynn episode. But a lot of Catholics don't understand that marriage is until death, unless there was some impediment at the beginning of your marriage when you exchanged consent. So if you exchanged consent freely, openly, and faithfully, and then later guy lost his job, started abusing alcohol, and then became a physically abusive, that doesn't mean your marriage didn't take place. That means you have a bad marriage, right? And you might need to physically remove yourself and your kids, especially in the case of abuse. Please do. And use div- civil divorce to actually make your husband uphold the marriage and, you know, uh, pay alimony and child support and use the law to do that if he's going to become a, a worthless drunk, et cetera, et cetera. But I've worked with people literally at every angle of this. And I know that my goal is to call them to holiness, and sometimes that holiness looks like a giant frickin' cross in the shape of their new marriage. And they are nailed to it, and they look at me and they say, you're telling me I have to give up sex with my now wife, I have to get an annulment that may or may not be granted, I then have to get my current marriage blessed if the annulment is granted, and only then am I permitted to have sex with my wife that I've been married to for 20 years. And I look at them and say, yep. And no one wants to do that. <laughs> but and and I, I'm just gonna play uh, the devil's advocate for a yes. bit. Do you think that bar is too hot? Because I, I I agree with you on the holiness thing, but getting back to that that Benedict quote, 
like at one point in time, does that attitude become a self-imposed cross as opposed to a cross that the Lord is asking us to bear? Okay, well, very clearly, multiple times in the gospel, marriage once till death is radically affirmed. Okay, mm-hmm. so Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 19, there is no uncertainty or vagueness in Christ's words that you could dance around. He says, if a man divorces his wife, and she marries another, she commits adultery, and so does he, okay? So if you think about it from that perspective, divorce is bad because in Jesus' day, it forced the divorced woman to try to seek another man because women weren't allowed to have employment. So they had to seek marriage or they'd end in destitution. So now if a man divorces his wife and she goes and marries another, he forced her to commit adultery. And if he marries another, he commits adultery because Jesus is saying marriage is once for life. Now, how do we then say, yeah, but that's only for the super saints. Because yeah, I, because, and this is the critique of the Catholic Church by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that, uh, who's a German theologian killed by the Nazis because he tried to kill Hitler, um, that I, I totally agree with. It's a book called uh, The Cost of Discipleship, and in the opening he has this brilliant thing about cheap grace and costly grace, and then he goes into Martin Luther, and he talks about how Martin Luther died to himself to enter the monastery and then died to himself to leave the monastery and launch the Reformation because he wanted to be in the monastery. But before that, he says the Roman church did something that was very unique. As the whole world started becoming Christian or Roman Catholic, the Roman church spawned off uh, monasticism. And he said and that was both a blessing and a curse. He said because monasticism is costly grace. I have to give up my life in order to follow Jesus. And they said, but what it did was it also allowed cheap grace to be peddled to the masses, to the lay folk. So it's like, yeah, well, you can't be as elite as us in the monastery. So we'll let you have this cheap grace. We'll lower the bar. We, we undo the very, Jesus literally said, you can't be my disciple unless, and I feel like there are tons of burdens as a Catholic, that we place mm-hmm. unduly, like making the baptized and well-formed go through a year or two years of RCIA is not asked of the church, by the church, and so many parishes do it. Uh, I know one church that makes people go through three years of education before they will let them get adult confirmation. That's insane. Um, there are plenty of churches that add an extraordinary amount of burden. They strain the gnat and swallow the camel as it is. I think for us... This marriage thing, it's what killed, got John the Baptist killed. It's what got Mm -hmm. St. Thomas More killed. Like, Mm -hmm. this is pretty freaking big in the Catholic Church. It's kind of our thing. And so in this area, I I think there is a, uh, maybe in Europe especially, maybe in South America, I'm not too sure about South America, but maybe we should have more annulments being granted. Like, I, I think our culture has so destroyed marriage that it is almost impossible for well, and, many people to take the vows seriously. Go on. And I, and I guess that's what I'm wondering because, I mean, like, please don't think that I'm trying to, like, advocate. So I, I, don't, I don't have to justify myself to anyone. But uh, I guess what I what – Justify I'm yourself saying, to me. <laughs> justify yourself to me. You owe me this. <laughs> crucify him. Crucify him. Um, <laughs> man, I love uh, I love Jesus Christ Superstar so hate much. I um, hate it so much. Yeah, whatever. I'm kidding. It's great. <laughs> those, those, like, vocals, man, and that, like, opening riff, so good. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Is that – is the culture so far gone that – it's like it's 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 so weird because I feel like the West is now complete mission ter- territory under the guise of like a vaguely Christian culture. Yeah. You know, so what do you do? Like if like really because I, I would agree because these people who got ma- even even, even um, Catholics who got married in the church, did they really understand what they were doing? You know, did they really um, were they really um, aware of what they were they were like entering into? Does that make sense? And and so then like then like what do you do if like like honestly, God, like do we just have so many poorly catechized and poorly evan evangelized Catholics that a lot of, of the sacraments people are experiencing aren't valid? Yeah, I mean, I think the crisis of faith today, that people don't have a living faith in Jesus Christ, severely limits their ability to receive the sacraments. And if they have a sacramental marriage in the Catholic Church, 
there is an element. Now, J.D. Flynn, who is a canon lawyer, very correctly pointed out that we can't walk around being like, well, I don't think you have enough faith mm-hmm. that your marriage mm-hmm. didn't have enough faith. Like, you can't – or, like, you weren't really ready. Because he, he made that comment to me about a baptism where the guy said, I, I felt like I was forced to get baptized. I mean, I wasn't literally, but I really did feel like that. And uh, and he's like, we, we can't question that. Like, there's no way for us to know whether that's true or not in order to say – well, his baptism didn't really count. But there is an element of you need living faith in order to uh, receive a sacrament, in order to receive the sacramental graces. I mean, that's the subjective disposition whereby we receive the grace of the sacrament. So I do, I really do question. I mean, we do not, we, our culture does not think twice about divorce. Our culture mm-hmm. has a thing called starter marriages. Our culture does yeah. not bash an eye not only at cohabitation, but at the third date is when you sleep with the person. I saw that on an episode of Frasier. <laughs> They're like, ooh, <laughs> ooh, it's the third date. It's the third date. Ooh. I scrambled eggs. They're coming again. <laughs> good night, Seattle. <laughs> I love that show so much. So good. I loved every so I episode. Love Frasier. Uh, um, I love no, Daphne. I, oh, I, Daphne. <laughs> I, I do think we're, uh, we're on to something, though, that – I wonder if one of the things that he's getting at is that really it's the pastor who has to make that call now. But here's the problem, though, is that like that doesn't mean. Okay, well, so let me just back back up a bit. That if a pastor knows a couple and if they're really smelling of the sheep, they will really kind of understand that. Oh, this person when they had these like sacraments, they did not. They really weren't. They didn't know. They did not know what they were actually doing. And they were so poorly, like they had full consent for what they did, but not full, like, but not full knowledge of like what they were actually doing. And is he saying it's the pastors who can now, I'm gonna make that call? But then, like, what about annulments? You know, so it's, it's this weird little like, yeah, catch twenty two where it's just I feel like perhaps he's. I mean, is he? I, gosh, and I hate to say this about a pope. So, oh Lord, please forgive me. Um, is he hanging certain priests out to dry? So the fear is um, that he has that in this that traditional um, what we would call, I guess, conservative theologians are now in a culture of fear that if they say if they are critical in any way that they'll lose their job or that they'll be unduly attacked um, and that there's elements of this that are are going really far. And so um, recently, Father uh, Wynandy, I, I think that's how you say his name, he's the he's a Franciscan, which is crazy. Uh, Father Thomas Wynandy, he's the basically the best theologian in English that's a Franciscan theologian. That's what everyone's saying. In the English-speaking world, he's the highest Franciscan theologian. Uh, and he served with the U.S. Bishop, Bishop's Committee on Doctrine. Uh, now, and then he was just... Um, he was, yeah, basically he published an open letter uh, on Crux saying, uh, hey, man, you are causing a lot of confusion. Here's my five points. And then he was asked by the USCCB to step down. Um, and a lot of people are saying, well, you should not have published if you really want to do fraternal correction. And everyone's saying there was nothing wrong with his tone. Like he, he spoke very clearly, very charitably, but very also very directly. Um but the problem was you still published it as an open letter on cruxnow.com instead of, like, literally just sending him a letter or something. But you could also say that he was trying to make a correction for the sake of the church, you know? Yeah. One thing that Father James Martin brought up that I really bothered me yeah. and uh, was – and, I, and I, I again, this is not to throw him under the bus at all. If you want to know how we feel about him, go back to, like, last episode. I would go as far as to say he's a friend of the podcast. But anyways. Father um, James Martin? Kind of. I mean, he said he would come back on at any point in time, and he was very pleasant. He's an acquaintance of the podcast. He was on one <laughs> show and has never listened. <laughs> he may have. Hey, listen, Father James Martin, if, if you have like listened again, please just like like a tweet of ours. If you've listened, tap once. Podcast. If yeah. you don't listen, clap twice. If you if you don't uh, listen, retweet. Um. Anyways, where he's where he said this type of action was not ever allowed under John Paul II or Benedict. He said what? This type of what? That type of action was not ever tolerated under John Paul II. Uh, so, 
I would totally disagree. Liberal, okay. liberal theologians around the world did that all the time. That's that's what I kind of thought, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I man, I wish I could remember, but like people, theologians used to take out full page ads in the New York Times, and you know, like, ah, oh, man, maybe I'm I'm crossing lines, but well, I, I think are you talking more, about like a I theolo- think he's referring to the. Um, I, I think what he's referring to is the anger that people have that he was removed from that post. Yeah. So I, I, I just wanted to clarify. So he, he's saying that under this, you like were never allowed to like disagree and keep a position of a, I, I could be I am I am like reading into his this was a Facebook post or a tweet. So keep take that with a grain of salt um, that there's a difference between putting an ad in a newspaper and being in a a position of, of authority and open and um, like openly challenge a person. Yeah. Let's say like, and openly challenge the Pope on something. Yeah. So one of his opening statements was you seem, this is to the Pope. You seem to censor and even mock those who interpret chapter eight of Amoris Letizia in accord with church tradition as pharisaic stone throwers who embody a merciless rigorism. This kind of calumny is alien to the nature of the Petrine ministry. That was in his open letter. Hmm. So this begs the question then, as Catholics, how should we view the Pope? Not him. How should we view the papacy? Yeah. Because honestly, like we've grown up with John Paul II and Benedict. That's it. We're not used to these things where there's like in days of war, you may have four or five, six popes during our, you know, 35 years of life. Yeah. We haven't had that. People in the past may have been kind of used to this back and forth. I mean, gosh, at one point in time, there were two popes. Um, well, there was one pope. And well, there's one. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, how do you, uh, you know what I meant? Uh, <laughs> well, no, I mean, but like. <laughs> This isn't that bad. Yeah. You know, so although at times uh, some some people think that Pope Benedict, anyways, that's a whole other thing. Little boy. Um, like as Catholics, how do we view the, how should, what should our, um, what should our attitude to the Pope be? Uh, always, number one, at the very least, we should presume good motives. At the very freaking least. So when we like, here's the deal. This is my problem with how conservative theologians, and really not even conservative theologians, some of them, but there is a greater amount of nuance in theology to a certain point that some people do not want to admit. Then there is left and right as categories that are being applied to a 2,000-year-old institution, and those categories have only existed for 200 years since the French, Re- French Revolution. Now, I will say there have always been, yeah, been progressive and conservative or whatever elements, but at the same time, to call the Pope the, a leftist in American terminology, I think that's what Greg was getting at on one of our earlier shows where he said uh, America is very far away from Rome. He meant in a, uh, at least I presumed his meaning to be like, come on, like quit trying to take these freaking conservative, like Republican versus Democrat labels that the Fox newsification of our human thought, like I am very proudly uh, a conservative. I'm a principled conservative. I'm not a Republican anymore because the Republican Party has lost its collective minds to Trump. And so I'm a principled conservative. I want moral men and women as my as my leaders and my representatives. Trump is not that. But that being said, when we have this, when we bicker over every little thing, and then we we solidify all these little things, and then demand that the Pope conform to like an American conservative theology, that's what pisses me off, and that's why I'm like, okay, like. All right, Dr. So-and-so, who I love at an institution that I attended, (laughs) I think you're going way too far on a website that I also know the guy that started that website, and it drives me insane as a tratty website. Like, there's so much vitriol and rage and anger for categories. Like, we're getting pissed off that the Pope doesn't fit into Republican conservatism or, you know, liberal leftism, whatever. 
Uh, and I think that, that this is the part that constantly pushes me back into his favor because he said things like, are you kidding me? All you do is care about freaking divorce and remarried, receiving Holy Communion, and I'm trying to save us from gay marriage, from hating mar- from marriage literally disappearing, and this is what you're saying? Come on. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that that's part of this conversation that we're not admitting, that our American bias is radically forming our conversation over this. That said, there is still, I mean, there's books by Rocco Budiglioni or whatever, these Italians and all this stuff who are defending and, you know, defending Pope Francis on these same terms. So they're, they're, it's not like this stuff isn't touching Pope Francis. Gerhard Mueller just defended the Vatican's doctrinal chief, just came out and defended him and, uh, of, of Amoris and, and stuff. I, I don't know. I am, I am now officially on the party of the confused. So, but just to get back to like my original point, though, like what should the attitude towards the Pope oh be? shit? I'm gonna edit that out. So the no, attitude... no, 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 don't, 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 don't. That's that. Please keep that in there. I'm just oh, okay. The to reason why I say all that, friend, who I who I both like like and respect for paying attention, that we can stay on a topic. Yeah. Well, the reason why I say all that is because my my goal is we have to honor Pope Francis as a non-American politic conforming individual, and I think people won't. And that's the problem. So we need to read with absolute reverence and humility uh, the Pope's documents and insofar as possible accept them as true. Like, I mean, my, I just – I can't talk about this without going down like anti-global warming, anti – you know, like all of this stuff. And I feel like – I don't know. I, you know what, Luke? I'm, I'm in the party of confused. I want to follow Pope Francis like I did Pope John Paul II. And I don't feel like I can because I feel like he's literally stacking the deck with people that he wants on his side, I guess, maybe, in terms of, of, of some of these pastoral issues. Yeah, that's the other part, too. And that, that makes me nervous. But at the same time, I also feel like the phrase stacking the deck can be overly political loaded, politically loaded. And I'm saying that because I'm an American conservative, whatever. I always go back to a thing that Father... John Nepple said on the Catholic Stuff You Should Know podcast, uh, history judges popes, Catholics don't. And so I take that attitude, but with reason. Yeah. You know, so, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I See, there's a, there is a supreme arrogance in in many people where we think we can sit and judge what's going on. I I just talked about tonight in my prayer theology class thing that I was teaching that uh, it's very easy to armchair quarterback your boss, right? Like, oh, if I had his job, if I was Tim Cook in charge of Apple, this is what I'd do. And it's like, you don't know they're not release a new OS every year. Go on. Yeah. You don't know. You don't know what they're facing. You don't know what their constraints are. You don't know what the regulations in China are. That's their number one cause. Like, we don't know any of this stuff. And yet we we pontificate like idiots. And the same is more so true with the Pope, where we we really don't understand where he's coming from. But I think the problem is in making the papacy more accessible, he's made it into a slippery bar of soap that you keep trying to cling on to and it keeps shooting out from your hand that you can't grab. So the issue is um, really just I just wish the Pope himself would answer the five, the Cardinals five dub, whatever dubia. It was a list of cardinals who sent him things just asking for confusion. Um, they had questions and stuff. And uh, I. Okay. Um, we need to stay. We, we need to uphold our faithfulness. Our faithfulness. That was weird. To <laughs> the um, papacy over our political beliefs like that should always be first and when i say faithfulness i I mean like respect for the authority that that position holds within the church and that when it doesn't conform to what we just because it makes us uncomfortable doesn't mean that it's wrong but stuff <laughs> it's 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 stuff it's man I, i'm just not willing to draw a line in of the sand and i feel and it looks like a lot of people have 
that we're at a point now where it's going to be, you know, you're either with us or with the Pope. And to me, that's absurd. Like, you can be for a person, for a thing, and have issues that you need at a wrestle. Like, am, am I crazy ever thinking that? No, I'm just... I'm, I'm, just, I'm just at a loss with all of this. To see clerics, to see cardinals and bishops fighting the Pope. That is disheartening. And to see, it is disgusting. And it's brought, like, we never would have seen this 100 years ago because we didn't have access, right? We didn't have access. But my, I think there is so much of a disservice being done to the lay faithful, by the lay faithful, by people like Michael Voris. Um, see, I was thinking about this for a long time because I, I started doing some studying on the old uh, church militant. And I did some background uh, stuff. If you, if if we you, can bring them down, I would be so – I will fight <laughs> that fight. Bring it on, mother – sorry. But isn't it funny – Then this is exactly what I was talking about. Isn't it funny that you are totally excited to fight and bring down Michael Voris, but you're not that for, let's say, Catholics for a Free Choice, which is a rampantly pro-abortion, I think pro-euthanasia, I'm not sure. Uh, organization that's trying actively to change the church's teaching, or and by change the church's teaching, they mean literally change individual Catholics in the pews their views on abortion. Yeah, to me, they're also just so absurd. I mean, but this, you know, but this is probably an example of the the bubble in which I'm in. That they're such an absurd group. It's almost like if you don't want, if you don't like what's being said, change the conversation. An old Donnie D quote that I love. I use I use that all the time. Uh, to me, I'm just like, I'm not going to give you the time of day because you're ridiculous. So moving on. Right. And so this is what I was thinking about because in his Wikipedia page, which clearly was written by church militant people, um, <laughs> if you go on it. It's hysterical. Uh, the, the comment that they keep making, and you hear this from a lot of like ultra conservative groups, traditionalist groups, even not like ultra anything, just traditional liturgy, whatever, is they talk about – why is the church so adamant to go after those who are trying to be faithful and just being so to an extreme or whatever, rather than go after those who are trying to use the church to teach out and out heresy, immorality, like all of that stuff? And I've been thinking about that for the last few days because I'm like, okay, Michael Voris gives love a bad name. You know, like he gives Catholics a very bad name. But so do – so, I mean, like, Stephen Colbert, I'm pretty sure is pro-abortion. Yeah. And he talks about it. He talks about being Catholic. And he also talks about women's reproductive rights as a joke on his shows. Like, not together, but, like, he'll talk about, like, making fun of the Republicans. He's like, that's right, as if women's reproductive rights are not, you know, you know really rights or whatever. And ha, 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 very funny joke. And, uh, and I was like, whoa, he's pro-abortion? Like, I thought – like, I'll make allowances for pro-contraception. Just kidding, I won't. But th- this, <laughs> this whole notion of, like, uh, that took me back. And I was like, why am I not as pissed off at him as a left-winger than I am at the ultra-right? You know what I mean? Because Stephen Colbert is hilarious. <laughs> he has a better haircut. No, I mean, but you know what I mean? No, like, I, why, I, does, I, I why do bishops cool. smash... You know, I mean, and I grew up, like, for a little bit in the Latin stuff. My sponsor for confirmation was a member of the priestly fraternity of St. Peter. So uh, I, I, I remember, like, you know, I read their newsletters, not the FSSP, but, like, traditional Latin mass proponents. And they'll say things like, why won't the bishops let us have a traditional mass? It's not like we're telling every other church you have to do it this way. Why won't they just let Instead, they, there's a freaking clown mass down the street. You know, there's people on unicycles going through mass and disco balls mm-hmm. instead of crucifixes. Why can't we just have the old mass? And I that always bothered me because that is a real a real tenant. And and I don't know the closest answer I came to why Michael Voris drives me more insane than Catholics for a Free Choice is one just what you said. They're so far out I don't even consider them in the sphere. Like they're they're off they're off, they're in a different country. Hold on. <laughs> But the other thing was, I feel like self-righteousness is more enraging yeah. than unrighteousness. 
It, it actually, yeah, it kind of is. And, and like what we would term pharisaicalism is more annoying than the sinner, the tax collector, and the prostitute. Like I can still drink a beer with Obama and have a conversation about things that I think would be mutually beneficial, even though at one point in the conversation I would say to him, so you're such a loving and attentive husband and father that it oozes out to you. Do you really think an innocent human child should be killed at the whim of the parents? Like, you know, like I would have to bring up the abortion issue because that's in my DNA. I've been to go on abortion, anti-abortion rallies since I myself was a fetus. So like, but there's that, but, but same with Michael Voris, all I think of is like, I got to steal your microphone and lock it away. Like, I don't well, want, I don't want people to hear you. I mean, part of it too is that, and I, who knows, this was in, because when I first went down that, that rabbit hole, I was like, okay, that's some good points. That's horrible. Um, some good points. That's terrible. Um, and but the more, really what, when he really lost me was when he just like attacked certain like bitches. I was like, why are you going after Dolan? <laughs> like, that makes no sense. Yeah. And Jeff Hugh, are you joking? Um, and then um, I think part of it, too, is like when he broadcast from Steubenville pissed me the fuck off because that's personal, which sounds so stupid. But like it really is. Sorry, I know I was going to try to not curse, but I, it really did. Like that's part of my home. It's in my DNA. It's such a huge, important, special place to me. And what the hell are you doing there? Like you have no right to claim this as part of your thing. And it it really bothers me. And now I don't know. Um, there may have been conversations with them in the past, or he's not allowed. There. This is just onto my video that he that I saw that I was like, why is he in the circle? Why is he in the place where I almost got arrested? That makes no sense. <laughs> That's not true. You're, we didn't get arrested. Just heavily written up. Um, <laughs> you don't belong here. <laughs> like it really like that. You can tell I get a little bit angry about that. Um, but isn't it think... funny how, like, like they're also – I don't know. I don't understand because, like, bringing it back to Pope Francis, uh, there is so much of the stuff that he says. I mean, he – for people who doubt his Catholicity, my a friend of mine who is a very devout, devout Thomist, episode number 34, interview with a beeping Thomist, said to me – we were talking about why so many people hate Pope Francis, and we were talking – yeah, we could he could have more – clarity over this marriage thing like we need much more clarity over that a lot of people we understand if you're right and you're really pro-capitalism you get offended at his language about you know condemning capitalism so much but you could understand coming from south america how they've never had capitalism like we've had in america but they also have suffered the brunt of american capitalism mm -hmm. that's being you know that you know Whatever. In order to get cheap toothpicks, we plunder the rainforest. Like, come on. Ch Chiquita of bananas. Look it up. I didn't have to look it up. I've seen it firsthand in Honduras. Uh, <laughs> Chiquita. No, Ch uh, Dole. Dole bananas is the one that's taking over Honduras. I was telling the audience, not you. There's I, a thing with Chiquita back in the 1800s, I believe. Oh, really? Well, one of the things was that in Honduras, they used to educate the workers in the fields. They used to set up schools and housing. And mm -hmm. then another company came in that may or may not rhyme with mole. And, uh, and they, the first thing they did was get rid of the schools and the housing. And they was like, you find your own housing, but here's your jobs. So it's kind of crazy. But um, there's, there's a lot. So, like, stuff like that. Like, so that we Americans can have always low prices always. Mm -hmm. uh, other people in the world will have to suffer lower wages. And then the capitalists will respond, yeah, but then they wouldn't work these jobs, but then there just aren't other jobs. So you go all the way back and forth. So the thing with Pope Francis is, yeah, I can, I can understand a lot of those critiques, but my buddy said, have you ever read Pope Francis's homilies? And I was like, no. And he goes, you should. You should read his daily homilies. They're beautiful. They're powerful. Like, you can tell, like, this is a man who does the Ignatian spiritual exercises. Like, they mm -hmm. really are great stuff. If you can get his homilies in English... Read him. He's like, just read one. You'll go, oh, okay, I see what he's talking about. Um, but the problem is there are already those other barriers that no one's seeking these things out. And then you have the whole left-right divide where it's like, well, the right is – he's now on the left, so the right has to destroy him every chance they get. So they're not going to talk about how the pope has condemned gay marriage, how the pope has condemned um, – transgenderism and all that and the ideologies that surround it he's not gonna you're not gonna talk about how he condemns this stuff on college campuses 
all you're going to hear is, yeah, but there's a footnote that makes an allowance and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the other things. There are other things. I don't want to just downplay this. But um, so for me, for me, I've just I really want to love him more than I currently do. And with JP2, I never felt that way. Like, I felt like, oh, this is easy to really deeply respect this man. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, I, I just try to find some of his homilies and the title of one of them. I love this. The cross is not a badge of belonging. Huh. Love that. So my, my kind of like. Do you uh, not like that? No, I do. I do. But I didn't read it. So the thing that I I always come back to when people talk about, like, he's not really Catholic and he's he should be he's a heretic. and He should be excommunicated. I had one girl, one woman say to me, Pope Cardinal Sarah said there are over two hundred and fifty or two twenty five hundred errors in his Amoris document. And so the Pope edited it. And now they're only thirteen hundred. And I'm like, God, shut up. Like, mm-hmm. it's stuff like that that you're just like, do you even hear yourself? Do you, do you really hear yourself? Now, Cardinal Sarah and Pope Francis have, uh, Pope Francis smacked him down three times pretty hard. Um, Cardinal Sarah is the head of the, doc, uh, the mm-hmm. liturgy group. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting because Pope Francis put Cardinal Sarah in there. But uh, the thing that I always come back to is if you really don't think the Pope is Catholic, he excommunicated the mafia. Yeah, I know. In Italy. The same mafia that chops off lambs' heads and lays it at the doorstep of Catholic priests who preach against crime and immorality a bit too much in Sicily and in South Italy. Here is the Pope who's trying to reform the Vatican Bank, which has long been a bastion of money laundering and corruption. And he excommunicates them. Like, that, why didn't Pope JP2 do that? Why didn't Pope Benedict do that? Mm-hmm. Like, that's, because I feel like that's this, I feel like Pope Benedict, and more so JP2. JP2 is a lot easier to connect to, but I feel like JP2 had a papal view of the world. And I feel like Pope Francis has a street-level view of the world. Pope JP2 is more like a general that oversees the thing, calls out the shots, you know what? And I, he wasn't perfect like that. But he ha- he understood his role was the world stage. And I feel like Pope Francis is like a street fighter. Like, he's a soldier that's going to fight street to street to street. And sometimes mm. he says things that, uh, you know, like, like, like Donald Trump tweeting things that a president – shouldn't say about, like, a law uh, or a, um, a trial going People. On. <laughs> People. Humans. Uh, but, no, like, as a president, he weighed in. As a head of the executive branch, he made a comment about, you know, so-and-so deserves the death penalty. Disgusting. But you can't say that because now you're creating these undue biases because it's the executive branch. So, mm-hmm. um, But Pope Francis, I feel like, his off-the-cuff comments on airplanes or – you know, trying to be uber pastoral and ignore the notion of of what the church teaches. I feel like there's there's these big these big issues that uh, that I feel like a street fighter wouldn't think about, a neighborhood pastor wouldn't think about, but a general has to think about and almost exclusively think about. And I don't, you know. Well, I, I, at some point in time, there's some people that I want to have on here to talk more about this. So yeah, and he knows who he is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And lastly, I will say this. Um, I'm reading in this document called Sharing the Virtues of Christ where the, this priest, he's Father Livio Molina from, um, in Rome, and he makes this comment that to me really, really strikes at the core of this. I can preach the basic gospel message all day long, and I won't offend anyone by telling them that Jesus died for their sins and rose for their eternity. It's when I get into the morality of what the church teaches and Christ is asking you to do, that people will then say, no, that's not for me. And in the book, he says, he's talking about, he's critiquing pastoral preaching. And he says, one of the dangers is pastors preach only the kerygma without ever mentioning morality. And it's almost like we're setting people up for a fall. We're, we're, we're saying all this stuff. And so people don't think there's moral demands on them. I just have to love Jesus and accept myself. 
Hmm. See, when you say, hmm, it makes me feel like you weren't listening. And now you don't have anything to say instead of witty banter. No, you just said it was really good. And I was like, "Mm, yeah, amen. You said, and one more thing. And I was going to say one more thing. Ah, I'm so sensitive. I am. I am. I am. You know why I'm sensitive, Luke? Because last weekend I was at a middle school rally. Two of them on opposite sides of a state. Can't help but be sensitive after one of those things. Hey, can I tell you the funniest thing though was we go to this <laughs> we go to this uh, uh, restaurant at the end of the night Astros game I think it was World Series game four and uh, I asked him to put it on the TV no one else was watching it which was driving me insane and they come out and she says would you like a beer and I said yes I want a tall you know whatever Yingling give me a tall Yingling I finish it before she gets everyone else's drink orders. She goes, oh, what do you want? I go, can I get a PBR on tap? Yes, you can. She goes and gets me a PBR. I had four tall beers, and then I finished off a craft beer that someone had bought. <laughs> and, and I got a prime prime rib, or prime, prime no, what is it called? Prime, not prime. Ribeye. Woo! That hurt. Bye. And, uh, and we were only there for an hour. <laughs> I had, like, <laughs> the equivalent of, like, seven Go beers. On. You know what? You also got a problem. <laughs> And probably after you blacked out, gonorrhea. <laughs> <laughs> and after you passed out, 12 children. I went to the hotel. I put on a podcast and fell asleep before I pushed play. I was out. How many times in your life have you fallen asleep to a podcast? All of them. All of the times in my life. It's happened to me multiple times. Okay, this is this this is good. We, we did it. We, we have about an hour. I only said the F word once. We're growing as human persons.